Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and my guest today is Lauren Schwez, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in New York City, in Manhattan, and she's also an occupational therapist, and she has spent a lot of time working with children, particularly with handwriting. Uh, we, we've just had, we have had one interview on that topic, and Today we're going to talk about the whole question of children's posture and how children, how you can uh, be sensitive to uh, your child's posture that that may, may be some ways of helping your child improve their posture, the whole issue of children's posture. Uh, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I wonder if you could just very quickly give a brief description or definition of the Alexander Technique so our listeners know uh, know a little bit about that and then say a word or two about your uh, the, your occupational therapy specialty, one of them which I know it involves uh, working with children. Okay, the, the Alexander Technique is learning to become aware of unconscious habit that distorts your posture or impairs your coordination. Usually it's in the form of excessive muscle tension. And then once you become aware of your unconscious habit, learning to inhibit your habitual responses to things and then replacing them with better choices about how you move and use your body. And when you say inhibit, um, that that's a... a, a a bit of Alexander jargon that I think we need to clarify. Uh, inhibit in this context doesn't have anything to do with Freudian repression. It really means learning how not to do something you don't want to do. Right. It's just giving yourself permission to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Exactly. Yeah. We, I think we need to just clarify that for our listeners. So that's the Alexander technique. And occupational. the occupational therapy, occupational therapy specialty that you have uh, involves, or at least the work, a lot of the work you've been doing involves working with children, right? Right. I am a sensory integration therapist. I work with children who have sensory processing issues, which means that the way that their nervous systems take in and interpret um, environmental information is not correct and so their behavior is going to reflect that. In addition to their sensory issues they usually have things like low muscle tone and problems with their balance and coordination. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in the work that you've done, and I know we've talked earlier about working with children with handwriting as an example, you obviously see a lot of posture issues with children and I wonder if you could say a little bit about how that, from from what you can see, how those problems come about, how much of it has to do with spending time in a school setting, perhaps sitting on standardized desks and not being able to move around so freely, and what are the other factors that might contribute to poor posture in children, and what can parents usefully do about that? Well, you know, that's really quite a long and complicated issue because um, especially with the children that I treat who have sensory processing issues, um, I believe that their issues come from the moment that they're born because 
Um, generally, these days, when a child is born, there's a lot of medical intervention with the birth, and so it doesn't allow the child to the nervous system to get set up through the birth process the way that it normally should. Um, and then the children are often allowed to spend a lot of time in car seats or in strollers. Um, children in other cultures are very often carried on their mother's hips a lot. When you're being carried in a, um, in a car seat, you're basically moving in one plane and when you're carried on your mother's hip, every time your mother turns, you turn. Every time your mother bends, you bend. And because of that, you're constantly having to adjust your head position against gravity. And that's the first way that you begin to learn about your body in relation to the rest of the world. And if you're constantly being strolled or or carried in only one direction, you're never going to get the opportunity to learn about your position in space, your relative position in space. Then you're, that has the effect of delaying the maturation of your postural reflexes. When we're born, we don't have um, the ability like a horse does to get up and walk around shortly after it's born. What we have instead are these reflexes that come into play at certain times, like when you put a baby on its belly and it starts to arch upwards against gravity, or if you turn the baby on its side and it looks in one direction and the arm and leg on the opposite side start to flex, that's what gets the baby to turn over. And um, because we're not carrying our babies on our hips and because we're not allowing them to be on their bellies very much because of the fear of sudden infant death syndrome, we're denying them so many opportunities to mature their nervous systems. And I think it it might be useful just to to expand on on one thing that you touched upon, this whole question of adaptability say of your head neck relationship for a kid ability to to easily move your head in different directions to to see what's up that uh if if as you say if 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 a child is always being pushed around or driven around in one direction that ability doesn't really get uh developed and a lot of our sense organs are in our head, our eyes, and of course the, our ears, the inner inner ear canals. And if 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 a child doesn't learn how to have a kind of a nice balance of their head on top of their spine and an ability to move it easily and fluidly, that's going to cause serious problems in the short term and certainly in the long term as well, as far as posture and, and movement goes. Well, one of the things that uh, is a consequence of those reflexes not integrating into the system and disappearing is that when the child is in certain positions against gravity, the reflex is going to kick in, Mm -hmm. um, which will then involuntarily lower the child's muscle tone. So the child is always going to have a struggle moving his body against gravity. And, and, and it's interesting, by the way, that you mentioned the business of with the SIDS um, 
scare. Parents are not encouraged to let their children lie, their babies lie flat on their stomachs uh, unattended. And I I have uh, did an interview much earlier with another Alexander teacher in New York, Jennifer Kello, who works with babies and their parents, and she rem- she also addressed that same issue. Um, and she said that uh, while a partial solution, at least, is to uh, for a parent to have their ch- carry their children uh, in a way that they're the front of their bodies rests on their parents' bodies. Does that make sense to you? Um, yeah. Because if they can't, if, if, you know, you really don't, if you can't, if, if you feel it's dangerous to let your child lie on their belly, you do need to have some way of stimulating uh, that, I guess, basic reflexes that develop. Right. You know, and it's it's the action of pushing up against gravity. Mm -hmm. When you put the baby on its belly, the baby will automatically just start to push upwards. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, when they're little, it's like very weak and feeble. Mm -hmm. But that's the reflex. And that sets up so many things I can't even tell you about. It starts stabilizing their shoulders. It starts separating the thumb from the palm, which is the beginning of fine motor control. It starts to develop their their depth perception and uh, their visual field. And if we're not allowing them to do these things, it's going to impair their development. So uh, from, from a parent's point of view, listening to this, um, it's, it sounds like one thing... You, as a parent, you might want to be alert to is, is is your child spending a tremendous amount of time just sitting, being moved around, and are there ways you could integrate some um, more natural movement into that child's life? And I guess uh, I'm just thinking here out loud that if you're if it's not a, if for for medical reasons let's say or fear of sids you don't want to leave your child unattended lying on their stomach in a crib at some point when the child's a little older i would think you could certainly encourage them to lie on their stomach and i think in our earlier interview you said that might even be a good position for them to start practicing writing with yes so I mean that it's not a complete solution, but maybe it's making the best of a not so great situation. To, well, what to people need that. to understand is that everything that the child knows from by before about the age of six, everything that the child knows comes from his physical relationship with the world, and in order for him to know those things, he's got to move through it freely. Mm-hmm. So if we're impeding his ability to do that by strolling him everywhere, by strapping mm-hmm. him in a car seat, um, we're, we're denying the child a chance to develop his, his intellect and his um, perception and his strength. So for a parent, it, it sounds like it would be a good idea to, to first of all, maybe just take a look at how much time their child is spending in these rather artificial situations and uh, see if there are ways that you can introduce more a more sort of dynamic uh, movement program in their lives, right? Oh, gosh. Get rid of the video games. Turn yeah. the television off and go, 
you know, organize the touch football game with the other kids in the neighborhood. Exactly. I'd like to move uh, from very early childhood to uh, entering school at age, say, five or six. Um, one, what I noticed uh, here, and I believe it, I, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I know I believe this is true in, in a lot of places, that ch- uh, furniture is now pretty much um, chosen, uh, school, school seats and desks are, are chosen really from the point of view of what's going to be most efficient for stacking and moving them, really for, for, the, <laughs> for the custodial staff. And you can understand why a school district might, might want to go for standard sizes that all everything kind of fits together. But from the perspective of a child, different sized children all sitting in these desks, could you say a word or two about why that's not such a great idea. Oh, I would be happy to. Um, First of all, I think that chairs in general are hideously not user-friendly. Societies that don't depend on chairs, I think, traditionally don't have back problems. Sitting in a chair is one of the worst things you can do for your back, and it just encourages slumping. It's like an invitation to slump, mm-hmm. especially when you're sitting in a chair that doesn't work well for your body. If you're so small that your feet don't touch the ground, um, there's a postural signal that happens when your feet are flat on the floor. The information from that pressure of the bottoms of your feet on the floor sends an extensor signal up your legs and up your spine and helps you to sit. Mm-hmm. Should I wait till this? No, can that's, ask- I, can, we can, I can hear you just Okay. Fine. So if a child is sitting with his legs dangling, he's, he, has, he has like no chance of, of ever sitting up straight. And I think, I think we should just say then as a kind of a blanket rule um, at home as well, it's really a big mistake to let your your small children sit in chairs where their feet can't touch the ground. Especially if you're expecting them to do homework. Yes. Yeah. And even if that means uh, getting a little platform for them to have their their feet on, but it's it's worth a bit. It's worth a little bit of effort to prevent that. It can it can avoid a, a world of, of trouble later on in their lives to, to at least do that at home and maybe see if you can't figure out a way to get it done in, in, in the school as well. The other thing that kind of strikes me about uh, the standardized furniture, it, it, it's, it's curious to me because when I grew up, uh, they were... Uh, we had more or less standardized desks, and they were all standardized for people who were right-handed. Oh, I'm I'm left-handed, so yeah. I can. <laughs> and um, of course, there were some children who were left-handed. Now, I think I was just past the mo- the period where left-handed children were more or less forced to write with right-handed, and I think we look as a, write with their right hands. And I think we. I think most people now look back on that as being somewhat barbaric. But from my point of view, standardized desks uh, and chairs for children and making them sit for a long period of time without moving 
is to me just about as barbaric, although what would your take on that be? Well, when a child is forced to sit for a long period of time anyway, um, yet what you have to understand is that movement is what activates your nervous system. It's what allows you to be alert and aroused. And movement is what sends extensor tone, which is the thing that gets you up against gravity, going. So when you are forcing a child to sit for long periods, you're, it's like taking the air out of a balloon or something. Mm-hmm. The, the longer they sit, the less juice they have because they're not allowed to, to activate themselves and get that up extensor stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember because I'm left-handed, I remember getting backaches in school because I had to contort myself in order to write all day. Right, yeah. Now, um, so if you're a parent and you're concerned about this... Um, Obviously, you could try uh, getting the school school board or the school to to change things, but I I have a feeling that in most cases, that's probably not going to actually do anything. Probably. So, so probably what you need to do is provide the best possible environment for a child's postural development at home. And, and hope that the school situation doesn't, uh, the damage done there doesn't uh, overcome the, the good that you're doing on your own. But it does require a parent to take a more active um, role in this whole issue. So it doesn't, it doesn't come for free. The other thing that I think might be worth talking about is the, is the whole issue of backpacks which has um, gotten a fair amount of publicity in the last few years. Uh, I see kids uh, going to uh, walking to elementary school and junior high in my neighborhood. They walk right by my house. And I see backpacks that, I see kids that look like they're tiny Sherpas about to climb Mount <laughs> Everest. I mean, they're, they're, their angle is close to 45 degrees forward just to, keep from falling backwards and i don't imagine that's very helpful for for their for their postural development i don't understand first of all i don't understand why we force small children to do so much homework every day to me that's just ridiculous Mm -hmm. a child's been sitting in school all day let them let them move their bodies when they get home Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah well i'm a crank but i just i don't think children should have homework until seventh or eighth grade quite mm-hmm. frank. Um, but yes, it's just ridiculous. And I do encourage parents to buy rolling backpacks for their children mm-hmm. and, and to talk to the school about, I mean, why do the kids have to schlep home these every books every day? Don't they have a locker? Well, that, well, that's it. That's an, that's a whole uh, side topic. Uh, a lot of schools have uh, abandoned lockers because they don't want kids to have a place to store drugs, for example. So that you can't even leave your books at school. Uh, you've got to carry them to and from. So it, it's, it's kind of, a, to me, it's an example of um, something done for one policy, and in this in one case, standardized desks, easy to stack, clean the room, and so on, and no lockers because that's going to solve 
uh, some sort of pro a perceived problem, but I don't think anyone really takes a look at the at the consequences for the chi for the children themselves in terms of their own development. You know, if if you are in a school that consistently makes choices that are not loyal to the needs of the children, you've got to take a look at that. Mm -hmm. And you know, the the other thing, I guess we're kind of both on on soapboxes here about this because I I've I've seen this firsthand with my own my own kids here in the school system here in in Lincoln. Um, the the kind of uh, sitting. Uh, arrangements for children if they existed in a private company in a firm they would be in direct violation of osha standards <laughs> that that company could be sued for many millions of dollars it, it 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 would be illegal to subject adults to that kind of work environment and yet children who are much much more vulnerable are are being subjected to it all the time Oh, I, I can't tell you. I go on school visits and I see children having to eat their lunch in these horrible, noisy, smelly, chaotic environments. Um, the other thing, the other thing is, um, let me just get on my soapbox a little bit. You know, I, I'm I'm such a big proponent of allowing children to move. You know, the the deeper I go into my work, both as an Alexander teacher and as an occupational therapist, we're just getting so disconnected from our bodies and so uh, stupid about what it is that children really need. I just recently visited a kindergarten where the teacher was telling a story or, you know, having a little class discussion, and she kept telling the children over and over and over to stop moving. When, I mean, if anyone with any common sense would have just said, boy, the children must really need to move. Why don't I just let them move instead of shouting at them over and over to stop moving? Mm -hmm. You know, and the other thing is uh, sitting on the floor. A lot of children just don't have the postural stability to sit in that crisscross applesauce position. They fall right over. It's uncomfortable. Or I often see children sitting on the floor with their feet straight in front of them and, and propped up on their arms. If they don't have the strength in their spines to sit like that and they're just like sitting hunched over in a little miserable ball, how much attention do you think they're going to have for what's actually going on in class? Yeah, I would think that the very least uh, it ought to happen if you do want a child, children to be sitting at a lower level, at least to provide some uh, support under them so that their hips are a little higher than their knees, kind of like the well, Zen I, meditation people do. I mean, I'm not saying mm -hmm. that's a, it's gonna, it's, but I think that would be a lot, a lot more functional for children than just sitting flat on the floor. Well, you know, it was really interesting as uh, this, uh, I went to visit this little boy at school and the teacher said, everyone sit crisscross applesauce and this poor child who really couldn't do it compromised by sitting on his heels, which then mm -hmm. was, he, he, and the teacher refused to go on until he sat cross-legged. Yeah, and I think uh, 
a lot of what we're talking about in our, in our and also in our earlier conversation about handwriting uh, really speaks to the whole issue of um, most adults not being terribly in touch with their bodies and so they're they're they don't they don't see these things that can cause so much trouble down the road for their children. I mean, a, another example is you see parents walking with their children holding holding one hand and, and the adults walking at a normal pace for the adult. And the child, and the child is running child and running. struggling to keep up. I mean, that's not that's not a good recipe for developing good walking patterns or good posture, uh, good coordination. No, and, and the other thing is, how would, you, how would you be able to walk with both of your arms over your head? There you go, okay. yeah. I, I, so I think maybe we could put in a little pitch here for the Alexander Technique, which um, is a way of learning about yourself, how, you, how your body functions and how you can improve it. And certainly one of the things that happens when someone takes a few Alexander lessons is they they start to notice things in themselves but also in other people that they probably would never have been aware of without. So, you know, it's kind of a, a suggestion here if a parent wants to develop the basic ability to see these patterns and uh, know when to intervene. Uh, some Alexander lessons for the parent might might be uh, a pretty good idea, if if possible. Oh, I think that's or, a wonderful or, suggestion. Or classes. Now, the, the the final thing I'd like to to touch on is uh, we've discussed the perils of very early childhood and postural development, and early days and early years in school and the, but I think it's worth spending a moment or two on the teenage child who's gone through all this and quite possibly is developed some postural patterns that anybody would notice are not great uh, perhaps they're in a perpetual slump or they're very stiff in their movements and certainly slumping is pretty common and you still have parents that will say, or teachers too for that matter, that will say to their child, stand up straight or sit up straight. And from an Alexander Technique perspective, that's possibly one of the worst things you could, you could tell a kid. Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? Well, if somebody came up to you and said, stand up straight, and you were not an Alexander teacher, probably what you would do would be some variation of pulling your head back, squaring your shoulders, sticking out your chest, tightening your ribs, and tightening your legs. And probably arching your back a bit, too. Right. Yeah. And, right. And, then, and then you would think, ugh, this feels terrible. I'm not going to do this. And then you just go back. Yeah, and if a kid is told that, the, a kid will, a child will probably do something like you just described, and they'll do it just long enough to um, satisfy their their parent or teacher, and within a very short pre period of time, they'll be back down where they were before, which is just as well, 
because at least then they'll only have one bad habit that they'll have to deal <laughs> with if they actually start uh, start adapting that uh, adopting that uh, quote standing up straight stance they're going to have two competing patterns and it's going to make life even even worse for them so I think one thing for sure you don't want a parent to or a teacher to do is tell someone to sta- tell a child to stand up straight. It's interesting. Um, one of Alexander's most famous students was a man named John Dewey, who is not exactly a household word, word name today, but he was. Um, he's probably America's most famous philosopher in the field of pragmatism and he also had a major influence on the development of american public education in the first half of the 20th century and he talks about this very issue in his own books where he talks about the futility of telling someone to stand up straight he his basic point is if they knew how to stand up straight they'd already be doing it and if they don't know how to do it they're just going to reorganize their tensions in a way that'll make you happy or they think is standing up straight and that to to tell as he puts it very nicely to tell somebody to stand up straight and expect they're actually going to do that is and to believe they're going to do that is pretty much like a belief in primitive magic of some sort. It's or t- like believing you can tell the tide not to come in today just by telling it to do that. So it's kind of interesting. He was very aware of that whole of that whole issue and, and wrote about it in several places. Do you have any uh, other bits of specific advice for parents who've listened to what we've talked about? want to do something useful for their children are up against a school system that's not likely to change their backpack or book 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 desk whatever policies anytime soon any other specific suggestions for a parent who wants to make the best let's say of a bad situation well, first, I would just encourage the, the parents to give the children as much unstructured time to play as possible. I'm not talking about, you know, like sending them to soccer. I'm just talking about making sure that they have time, you know, to go outside and play so that they're not spending their free time outside of school slumping in front of video games or televisions. Mm-hmm. That's probably a losing battle. Um Something else that you can do is uh, to buy the child a therapy ball, which is, um, you know, just like one of those Pilates balls. You want to make sure that the size is such that the child is sitting um, at a 90-degree angle um, from, you know, like the hips and knees are bent at a 90-degree angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really wonderful for... Um, Strengthening up the the intrinsic musculature in the low back, which often gets weakened with poor posture, mm-hmm. because you're constantly making little postural adjustments, and the kids really love to sit on them, so they can use those for their homework or for watching television or eating, even for eating dinner at the table. Um, another thing is, um, I think. I think, you know, if the child has a lot of homework and wants to work uh, at one of those standing desks, that might be another great possibility. 
just keeping them out of chairs, I think. Or perhaps even um, midway between a chair and standing, a stool that's perhaps higher than a chair so that their hips are higher than their knees. That, that can be a great benefit Oh, like one of those well. old clerk school stools. Yeah, that's what I yeah. use all the time. Um, oh. I find that once you start using one of those, you don't really want to go back to a chair quite often. You know, another great thing is, I know I just said not a lot of structured movement, but um, yoga class or um, a martial arts class mm. can be very, very... I was very, just going to very... say Tai Chi or Aikido or something like that. Oh, I love those would, things. Would be a wonderful yeah. activity. You know, they're they're not only good just um, from a physical point of view, but I just think a good strong sensei um, who carries a lot of authority is a very wonderful influence on children who really love hierarchy and structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and they're yoga. very likely to have reasonably good posture. So that if a child is imitating an adult around them, that might that's quite likely to be a good person to imitate in that respect. Yes, it's the same with a yoga teacher. Same often with a good yoga's, yoga teacher. Yeah, yoga absolutely. teachers often have wonderful use, yeah. although not always. Not always, but yeah. but I, I I think that's a, an excellent suggestion. Get them into a structured activity that generally emphasizes postural considerations as part of the activity. Another another thing that you can do, um, you would have to go to an Alexander teacher to learn how to do this, but the constructive rest position mm-hmm. is just wonderful because especially with a child that has forward rolled shoulders habitually, mm-hmm. to get the child lying on his back on the floor with his head on some books and with his hands just resting gently on his ribcage or his legs with his knees bent flat on the floor, gravity is going to do wonderful things, pulling the spine back into alignment, pulling the shoulders back into their correct position. Yeah, I would say, actually, that that's an excellent suggestion, too. If you're a parent, at least have a, one or two lessons from an Alexander teacher. Learn the constructive rest position. It's really very, very easy. Uh, learn the general guidelines for determining what thickness of, of support you is appropriate under uh, their head or someone else's head lying down. And maybe um, just start doing it at home. And what I noticed with some of my students is that when they're, they're in the living room doing their constructive rest, their kids want to join in. You know, I want to do that too. And that's a as you say, a wonderful way of of releasing uh, some harmful tensions in your body, pretty much just using the gravitational field in a different way to to help you with that. I guess I would also add, in terms of activities, I'd, I'd put a, a a plug in for swimming, uh, also horseback riding, and I'm sure there are many others that would be just excellent for that would sort of inherently counteract some of the negative influences that we've been talking about even an acting class acting would be great absolutely anything that involves spontaneous movement um yeah so maybe this would be a a good place to end this conversation unless you have something uh, you want to add at this point 
Oh, I think I've said it all. Okay, great. <laughs> well, to, to, today my, my guest has been Lauren Schwes, who's an Alexander Technique teacher and occupational therapist in New York City, in Manhattan. She's done a lot of work with, with children, particularly with handwriting issues, developmental issues. And Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure.